Fire broke out south of Boulder just after 11 this morning. Since then, nearly 600 homes have been burned, making it Colorado's most destructive wildfire in just a matter of hours. Authorities say both fires were caused by power lines knocked down by strong, very powerful winds. And the situation really escalated so quickly. Imagine this, a cute little cafe in your local community. The sandwiches are delicious and fairly priced, and they're charming with various teas and desserts, so what's not to love? Well, in this scenario, the cafe is called Yellow Deli, and it's essentially nothing more than the purse of a cult known as 12 Tribes. This organization has made headlines for its abusive practices for decades, so why haven't they been shut down? Are they misunderstood or even worse than the headlines show? Hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the 12 Tribes organization. This episode will discuss child abuse at length, so please know that now if that topic is too much for you to handle today. I can't really give you a timestamp because it's kind of scattered throughout, so if you just can't hear about it today, this episode in its entirety is not for you. Whereas IBLP was cult-like and kept their founders' abuses secret, reports against 12 tribes allege that the entire community is actually just a cult that believes in beating children regularly as a form of discipline. Needless to say, this is an extremely difficult episode and a difficult topic to broach, but it's one that I wanted to discuss and bring awareness to in the off chance that some of you might be financially supporting them without even realizing it. And I'll talk about it later on, but I know I was too. So let's start as always with the background of this organization. Albert Eugene Spriggs Jr. was born in 1937 to a devout Methodist family in Tennessee. He was unsettled and seemingly indecisive about his path. Having a number of different jobs and two different wives before he met Marcia Ann Duvall, the woman he ended up with until his passing in 2021. In his 30s, Spriggs reportedly had a life-changing experience and decided to dedicate his life to Jesus before moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I'm really sorry if I didn't pronounce that right. It's all started there. Spriggs developed his 12 tribes, an organization, and opened up the very first Yellow Deli Cafe in the early 1970s. He was apparently indecisive about what to name his community as well, as they once called themselves Light Brigade and Messianic Communities before settling on 12 tribes. They also founded the Vine Christian Community Church around this time, which was a Bible study group. But as a whole, I'm just gonna call them 12 tribes to keep the confusion to a minimum, but just know that there is a variety of names between sources. At first, it seems like the 12 tribes was part of the Christian community within the area, as opposed to a separate organization. They attended a local Presbyterian church. It wasn't until 1975 when services were canceled due to Super Bowl Sunday that 12 tribes became their own kind of thing. They held services in a park and started their own teachings. According to encyclopedia.com, this is what alienated the groups from others. Regardless of their frustrations about church services and the Super Bowl, Spriggs isn't ordained in any denomination whatsoever. So the Christian community in Chattanooga didn't view their services as legitimate. They also started observing Saturday as the Sabbath, which follows the Jewish customs as opposed to Christian. 12 tribes also referred to God as Yahshua and closes their website messages with Shabbat Shalom too. Now that's not to say there isn't anything wrong with saying that, but it's these kinds of behaviors that did alienate them from other Christian communities. While this was a bit questionable, the genuine controversy came when Spriggs began performing baptisms and cult articles began appearing in local media from 1975 to 1978. Not only did two colleges go so far as to say that the Yellow Delis were off limits, but cult deprogrammers began rescuing members that had allegedly been brainwashed. 
These rescues or exit counselors didn't exactly handle the situation well though, as some simply wouldn't offer aid, but just kidnap them instead. One of these deprogrammers, Ted Patrick, allegedly took a girl from 12 tribes on her wedding day while she was in her wedding dress. He deprogrammed her successfully, but all the sum, the forceful kidnapping and non-consensual questioning sessions are incredibly controversial. And just for reference, deprogramming is the commonly used term for unbrainwashing cult members, but it makes these people sound like they're just computers and not humans. You have to remember, these are still young adults and even children in some cases. Now, as for their core belief and why they go by the name 12 tribes in the first place, that's a bit of an interesting story. Apparently their ultimate goal is to have 12,000 members across 12 international tribes or communities and be able to sacrifice 144,000 male virgins to bring about the second coming of Jesus. The Yellow Deli and 12 tribe websites don't say too much on the matter at an initial glance, but I went digging through a book that they have online called The Last Day and page 40 of it reads as follows. Just before the woman flees to the wilderness, she will give birth to a generation of pure young men. This means they will be sent out from her, 12,000 from each of her 12 tribes. After she flees, the man of lawlessness, Satan incarnate, will go after these 144,000 pure ones who will be warning all the inhabitants of the earth of the coming judgments. While this is the origin story behind their name, it's the 12 tribes beliefs around punishment that have drawn the most controversy. One of their training documents states that they agree with Proverbs 2030, which speaks of stripes that wound when disciplining children. They claim that these stripes are not considered injury and that if parents are brutally injuring, breaking, burning, or wounding their children, then the government has the right to come in and correct the situation. Keep this little tidbit in mind for later because these training documents agree the government has the right to step in if this authority is misused. However, those who have spoken out against the 12 tribes say this is exactly what they're doing and the group is notorious for child abuse. The complaints about child abuse did not take long to surface in 12 tribes history. After all the opposition they faced in Chattanooga, some of the members decided to move to Island Pond, Vermont. Their movement became even more close-knit and it was there that people began to worry for their children. A monumental piece of 12 tribe history took place on June 22nd, 1984. According to a New York Times article released the following day, about 140 state police officers and social workers raided 20 homes and took 111 children. They did so after 12 tribes at that time called the Northeast Kingdom Community Church refused to answer complaints about child abuse and neglect. Prosecutors requested the children be detained, but the judge, Frank Mahady, refused. At that time, it's still unclear why, as the court proceeding was closed to the public, but the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union in Vermont, Scott Skinner, wondered if that state had overstepped its bounds in a warrant that is too general. The church members didn't resist and the case was dismissed. At that time, there were about 412 tribe members locally, a third of Island Pond's population. Unfortunately, there simply wasn't enough concrete evidence that abuse had taken place. One AETV broadcast featured a former member, Sammy Brasso, alleges that children were never examined and that the dismissal only took place because they couldn't obtain warrants for every child. Some of these children were given Hebrew names within the community, but their legal names weren't used or known. Plus, since the community moved around, it was actually hard to obtain a legal address for them too. All the same, years later, a civil suit was filed on the matter. It alleged that the raid was grossly unlawful and that some of the children had been traumatized by the day's events. 
One young girl, Tiffany, was only 12 when the raid took place. She hadn't even been a member of the church, but was just there visiting her aunt when a state trooper ordered her to board a bus with no explanation. They came in and scared them half to death. Her constitutional rights were violated. You just can't come in and do something like that, Tiffany's mother told the New York Times. Yet residents in Island Pond insisted that they had seen church members whipping their children in the streets. A church elder himself, Charles Eddie Wiseman, had apparently beaten a church defector's daughter for seven hours and told residents that, quote, even little babies have a fallen nature and need to be disciplined. Eddie Wiseman has been referred to as Sprigg's second in command or right-hand man before. So to hear this language from such a high-ranking elder is disturbing to say the least. The way this raid was conducted gave the 12 tribes organization a sympathy card, so to speak. To this day, they commemorate the court ruling on the 22nd as a day of deliverance and make YouTube videos on the topic called 1984, when a state came to take our children away. was raided by local authorities. More than 100 children were taken into protective custody. The state feared the children were being badly beaten as part of the strict discipline imposed by church parents. And that's just what the state is trying to do, prosecute if there is evidence of child abuse. And in my opinion, this is one of the reasons and a very clear reason why due process is so important and why it needs to be upheld. The 12 tribes is able to play victim here after their case was mishandled. I won't deny that what was done to these children is messed up, potentially, of course, and the raid should have been conducted better, but that doesn't mean the raid shouldn't have existed in the first place. When you accuse someone of a crime or misdeed, it has to be investigated properly. Otherwise, it's a cry wolf situation, making it more difficult to accuse them later. And personally, I think that's exactly the problem that the state ran into. Now, coincidentally, about a year after this raid, the group received a Stone Kingdom revelation that they must reject conventional society. Luckily for us normies, this revelation also added a middle ground between the saved and the damned, where people who have never encountered the tribes will live during the second coming of Christ. The more isolated the group became, the stranger the values they adopted. The colonist Roger Williams has become something of a patron saint to 12 tribes. Roger Williams governed Rhode Island, the first American colony to be based on separation of church and state. He started the first Baptist church in America, and he was an enemy of the Puritans that advocated strict moral and spiritual codes. And quite frankly, that's definitely not someone that I expected as a patron saint of 12 tribes, but uh, hey, here we go. Nonetheless, the 12 tribes website has an entire book dedicated to him. Around this time, 12 tribes also began calling themselves the Messianic Communities, and it took quite a while for them to arrive at their current name. Throughout the 80s and 90s, they also focused on expansion, opening branches in Canada, Australia, Brazil, Spain, Germany, Argentina, and the UK. Despite the growth, it seems like 12 tribes became more secluded and cut off from the world. One source explains this change in strategy as recognizing their vulnerabilities and coming to a partial compromise with society. They would actively seek out supporters among members' families, speak to journalists that offered them more balanced coverage, negotiated schooling with the state board, and had communal households in various areas, as opposed to only communes. In other words, their values didn't really change, but they wanted to look good to avoid another raid. At least that's how it comes across to me, in my opinion. One organization called Question 12 Tribes has compiled massive amounts of information, news articles, videos, and teachings from 12 Tribes itself to discredit and denounce the organization. If you click on the USA tab on their website and scroll to the archives, there's only one single article about them in 1986. 
This article was about both their Winnipeg community, which claimed to be mistreated because of their lifestyle, and a member named Edward Dawson, who was arrested at a commune in Santa Cruz, California. The latter had been involved in abducting an 11-year-old girl from Nova Scotia, who was returned to her mother after two years. Yet despite this absolute bombshell, the idea that they were involved in child abduction, there's not a single article involving them in 1987. The only ones are for 1990 and 1991. The 1991 article also discusses kidnapping in some capacity as the community hid two missing children from their mother. It was later discovered they had encouraged the father to bring his children to 12 tribes, the mother being an ex-member herself. It took eight years for the children to be returned to her and to readjust to life away from the cult. While these incidents are despicable and say a lot about 12 tribes all on their own, the news about them seems relatively sparse at this time. So let's take a look at some other 12 tribes values before we get into some of their more modern day controversies. And before we continue on to talk about their values, I'm just gonna go ahead and place the sponsor here. There's really no good place to put a sponsor in this episode, just to be totally honest. So this is where it's gotta go. Thanks to 7% inflation, everything costs a gazillion dollars right now. So it's a relief to find savings where you can, and you can find them with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is the first wireless company to sell online only, and their lack of overhead translate into serious savings for you. And when I say serious savings, I mean some serious stuff. Their plans start at just $15 a month. And all their plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data all delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. With Mint Mobile, you can choose the amount of data that's right for you and stop paying for data you don't use. I've had them for over a year and a half at this point. I think we're going on two years, if not longer than two years at this point, and I have zero complaints. Calls don't get dropped, like service is fantastic, text messages always go through, don't have problem using data, it's excellent. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash casket. That's mintmobile.com slash casket. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash casket. Now, it seems like we're all really focused on sleep lately because no one is sleeping, at least not well. No matter how many tinctures you buy, nothing helps more than getting a better mattress. That's why it's worth getting a Purple Mattress. Only Purple Mattresses have the Gel Flex Grid, which is a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. And I've got to tell you, they actually sent me a Purple Mattress this year, which was insanely generous. But now I've been sleeping on it for a couple months and I have got to say, I have been sleeping better than ever before. And what's really cute is Casper curls up in the corner of the bed too. He's already previously stolen my Purple Pillows before, but now he's stealing parts of my mattress too. So getting a great night's sleep starts with having a great mattress. So get a purple mattress. Make sure you go to purple.com slash casket and use code casket. For a limited time, you can get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash casket with code casket for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash casket, promo code casket, terms apply. Now, one accusation I've seen spread across numerous sources is that the 12 tribes community is a racist. A former member, Sinastra Colucci, was born in 1984 to a white woman and a black man of Cherokee ancestry. According to Colucci, when he first arrived at the community at 21 years old, it seemed idyllic. The first person he met there was an older black man named Joshua. It was relieving, he said. They all lived together. They didn't seem separate in a racial way. 
However, 12 tribes' beliefs about slavery and subservience aren't obvious from the onset. As is the case with many cults, if they started preaching in the park about their most racial and radical beliefs, they wouldn't get any members. Some of their teachings are minute, all about control over the most basic aspects of members' lives, like how to wipe after the bathroom by taking three to four squares, folding it into one, then wiping, folding, and wiping again. While others are genuinely alarming values that are nothing like this, They have been taught the curse of Ham, which stems from a story in Genesis in which Noah's son Ham saw him naked and drunk in his tent. Ham told his brothers who then walked backwards so as not to see their father naked and covered him with a blanket. Once Noah realized what happened, he cursed Ham's son Canaan for Ham's impertinence, damning him to be a servant of servants to his brothers. The Bible doesn't actually discuss the race or ethnicity of anyone in the story. Yet 12 tribes members and other groups like them have perpetuated the concept that Canaan was black, thereby justifying the slavery of black people and the servitude to white people. As twisted as this justification may be, it's been used frequently and even by the KKK. 12 tribes have used this logic to condemn Martin Luther King Jr. saying he was filled with every evil spirit. There is to say that Cham doesn't have to serve Shem, they taught. It is horrible that someone would rise up to abolish slavery. What a marvelous opportunity that blacks could be bought over there to be slaves so they could be found worthy of the nations, end quote. So yeah, they called slavery a marvelous opportunity. And I could rant and rave about how disgusting this is all day and night, but honestly, I'm beyond words with these people already. Frankly, this just reminds me of some of the worst aspects of a lot of religions and cult-like organizations we've covered. It has the curse that Mormonism did when covering racism, the demand for authority from the IBLP. It's so beyond frustrating and infuriating. Of course, Spriggs and others have said these quotes are totally out of context when they're called out and state that slavery is over for those who believe and come into Messiah, but it is not over for those outside Messiah. I fail to see how that phrasing actually makes anything better, condoning slavery and racism throughout the world at large, but yeah, Sure, that's your statement, continuing on. Now, obviously these aren't just announced to everyone that shows up at a 12 tribes community or goes to their sermons. Instead, the racism, the abuse, and the horrors are all slowly revealed over time. Another former member that we mentioned earlier, Sammy, spoke out in this interview and she said, those are written in teachings and usually usually it's many, many months or even years later that people start to realize. And at that point, their red flags and their critical thinking skills has been so diminished that they they don't see anything wrong with it anymore because they see the bigger picture or they think they see the bigger picture of purifying themselves for the, you know, the purpose that God has created them for. It becomes all about the agenda and not the beliefs. And are, and are the teachings as racist and homophobic as these statements from the group's leader? Absolutely, even worse. In addition to racist beliefs, 12 tribes has also been accused of holding homophobic beliefs. They have taught that it is an abominable sin and homosexuals should be put to death. They've condemned Jewish people, advocated against sports, jewelry, the internet, and birth control. Anything that isn't them and their organization is evil basically. They have multiple manuals on how to treat children and child discipline. So again, while they do seem like many other cults and cult-like organizations we've discussed, it's the child abuse that is like their real focus and it's seemingly at the core of who their members are. So with that in mind, let's get into one of their more recent controversies, which brought 12 tribes to the forefront once again. 
Let's move forward or backwards to 2013. Now, back in 2013, German investigative reporter Wolfram Kunick infiltrated a 12 tribes community in Bavaria, Germany. He pretended to be interested in joining, but filmed his experience whenever possible in an attempt to find definitive evidence of abuse. He pointed out how the workday there began early, lasted throughout the day, and then the teachings and singing took place. Without cell phones, the internet, or any connection to the outside world, it's no wonder that the people are able to fly under the radar. They're completely isolated. And while it might seem like a simple life on a farm, we know that's not the case. Wolfram recorded a leader stating that they don't slap their children, but they will hit them with sticks and call it discipline. These beatings with rods could consist of a couple blows or they could last for hours. One former member said that they'd once been beaten for over four hours, but knew of cases that lasted eight. They alleged that children are as young as six months old that had been disciplined for things like crying during services. Still, despite the mountains and mountains of allegations, despite Wolfram actually finding the sticks they used and hearing leaders admit it, the government couldn't act because they still needed cold, hard proof. Basically, they needed to see 12 tribe members do it. So that's exactly the evidence that Wolfram delivered them. A secret camera was installed in a boiler room of the 12 tribe school where he found the sticks. There, the camera recorded dozens of child beatings. Sometimes other members of the community would hit these children. It wasn't just their parents, as children are largely seen as communal property, as a former member puts it. Although the German expert shows the beatings and they blur the faces, for those of you listening to this on YouTube and not in podcast format, I'm not gonna put this on the screen for some pretty obvious reasons. All I will say is that this footage was extremely difficult to watch and frankly, I don't recommend doing so. As devastating and as heartbreaking as it was, it was incredible that Wolfram and his team managed to even get his hands on this type of information. In total, he gathered more than 80 documented cases of abuse. Corporal punishment is still lawful in the United States, but it's not in Germany. Therefore, this wasn't just a clear cut case of child abuse, but illegal activity. The German government got involved and those that he showed the footage was clearly disturbed by this. And he referred to it as the piece they were missing in order to go after 12 tribes. 40 children between the ages of seven months and 17 years old were removed from the Bavaria Germany 12 tribe sect and placed with foster care families. The Guardian reported at the time that police were looking to press charges, though 12 tribes themselves denied any abuse even took place. And they stated, we are an open and transparent community, which does not tolerate any form of child abuse. Now, even if I did believe that these parents were outliers or going against the community's wishes, which I don't believe it, I think the entire community allows for this purposefully. The fact that they deny the allegations when there are 80 documented cases goes beyond sheer denial. I don't know in what world they were thinking, oh, that never happened is going to work for them when there's literal video fucking footage of the beatings taking place. They're literally like, oh, Jim Bob, this is you on camera. And Jim Bob goes, yes, this is me on camera. Jim Bob, I don't know where I got that from, but anyway, he goes, oh, and here you are beating the daylights out of a fucking child for four hours. And he goes, yep, that appears to be me. They go, okay, so you beat this child, that's child abuse. He goes, "Mm, no, it didn't happen. like. Come on now. 
Plus, remember how earlier I told you that they agreed the government needed to get involved should abuse take place? Well, guess what? This is the government getting involved and here they are acting as if they're the victims in the situation, having their children stolen away once again. The 12 tribes community said that it was a dangerous thing what happened to them, stating that their children were taken away for no real reason, implying that they were simply being persecuted for their beliefs. Not long after these events, the German sect moved to the Czech Republic where corporal punishment is still permitted. In 2013, the German magazine Der Spiegel even reported that 12 tribes may have smuggled children there to hide them from the police. Allegedly, 10 children aged seven to 16 disappeared around the time before they were brought to Prague. And it seems like an act of someone innocent, right? Like no one guilty just has children disappear, right? This news made headlines everywhere with articles detailing the way community members shouted at the children before brutally beating them. People started to question the values of the 12 tribes restaurants within their own communities. The emotional reactions were strong, but eventually word of 12 tribes fell out of the news cycle. However, just a few years later, word about them started to resurface once again. In 2018, a e released an episode about the 12 tribes that had brought more light on the situation. This is where former member Sammy told her story and explained the moment she knew she wanted to break free. She said that when she was seven years old, someone had fooled around with her father's guitar during services. He was one of the musicians for the community. When he asked who did it, a young boy pointed at her and said, I saw her do it. Sammy claimed she hadn't done it and told the community this, but her parents told her she was lying and sent her to her room. For the next week, an adult brought her one meal a day and asked why she wouldn't confess. This didn't make any sense to young Sammy because the adults claimed they could speak to God. So why wasn't God telling them the truth? I remember praying, saying, God, saying, God, why can't you just tell them? Why can't you just tell them I am, I am telling the truth? And it just, I didn't understand. They would tell me God spoke to them. God spoke to me today and he told me this. So I said to myself, they're all full of <laughs> if, if he really, if they really did hear from God, he would tell them. And after a week I said, it's all a joke. After that, I said to myself, As soon as I was old enough, I was out. Sammy was fortunate enough to be able to escape. And today she runs a nonprofit organization called Liberation Point to help others that have escaped cults navigate the world around them. Thankfully, not only did media sources start bringing more attention to 12 tribes, but college papers did too. As the University of Colorado Boulder student newspaper pointed out, many of the 12 tribes cafes, the Yellow Delis, are located by college campuses. After all, the younger someone is, the more in need of direction and community, and the more likely they may be to fall for a cult's tactics. Even in the A&E episode, one UTC student approaches the A&E recording team and Sammy as they enter a yellow deli, telling them not to believe the negative rumors that they've heard about the place. Hey, how's it going? I just wanna know what the deal was, that's seen y'all around. I just wanna let you know, I agree to see here, and I've heard some negative stuff about these guys, but these guys are really cool. Oh yeah? Yeah, they, they love you, they're kind to you. They treat you like human beings as other people don't. Are you a, a member of their organization? Do you work here? Been thinking about it? I don't know, yeah. I'm just kind of new He states that they're cool people, and though he's not part of the group, he doesn't know yet if he wants to be. I don't know, I'm kind of new. I'm a freshman, he says. And this is complete and total anecdotal evidence, so feel free to discount it. A member of my writing and research team has actually been to a Yellow Deli before within the past couple of years without even knowing about their complete history. She too can attest to the staff being exponentially friendly, welcoming, and talkative. And this is where I throw in my own anecdotal evidence about my own interaction with the 12 tribes and not even knowing it. 
So I went and visited a friend down in Manitou Springs, which for those of you who don't know, is kind of like southwest-ish into the mountains by Colorado Springs. And if you go on like the main road in Manitou Springs, there's this little coffee shop where it's not a coffee shop, but there's this little place. It's called the Mate Factor. If any of you are in the area, you probably know what it is. My friend was like, this is the spot. This is the place. They introduced me to it. I had a really delicious smoothie there. And I was like, wow, this place is like really, really friendly. Like they're very cool, very chill, very nice. And this was a place that was like, wow, you know, like this could totally be a place where I can, you know, go sit and hang out with friends. It's cute little town, cute little shop. Well, guess who owns it? 12 Tribes owns it. I didn't even know that I gave money to 12 tribes. Now, obviously, retrospectively, I obviously would have never gone in if I knew, but now that I know, I will never go back. And I'm going to tell everyone I know that they are owned by 12 tribes. And apparently, this is a place that's close to, I think, two college campuses in Colorado Springs. And a lot of college students go there to like study and hang out because they're open like super crazy late. Like, I think I went there at like midnight or something and they were popping. Anyway, the point is, is that it's crazy eerie that the place is run by a cult um, and it seems very nice and welcoming. So I could see how someone who is young and impressionable could absolutely start talking to someone. And then all of a sudden it's, uh, you know what I mean? Like it just one thing escalates to another and all of a sudden, oh shit, I might be in a maybe cult situation. Now the CU Independent states that the Yellow Deli in their area has also faced accusations of potential child labor violations. Through their own personal investigation conducted by Nicole Dorfman and her reporting partner didn't unveil child abuse, they said that one younger child did appear to have been beaten at the nearby 12 Tribes compound. This article also alleges that the 12 Tribes members that work at Yellow Deli are unpaid. And when these reporters visited the commune, they saw the rods used to discipline children for themselves. Throughout the story, the hospitality of the 12 tribes is mentioned that they seem so kind, repeatedly offering tea, a tour of their gardens, and telling them about the 12 tribes history in Boulder. Yet there was something off about them. The article explains. Simple questions like asking the only other girl near our age what she was going to do when she turned 18 and presumably graduate high school turned awkward. I guess I'll stay here, she said. While she paused in her answer, she looked at the adults around the room, seemingly looking for approval. The second time we came back, we saw her in tears alone in the kitchen. The sense of the division between the community and outsiders was palpable. They talked about backstabbings and cautioned one another of those who would hurt them. They couldn't trust anyone or anything. I saw an extreme amount of control, especially over their kids. Members not being prepared for the real world, talk of outsiders being bad or toxic. It's all common behavior we've seen in cults. Experts on the topic, such as Catherine Mann with a PhD in religious psychology, has claimed that the tribes that in Colorado University areas absolutely meet the definition of a cult. And where there is a cult, there is often a cult leader. However, though that man used to be Spriggs, he passed away in 2013. I'm not sure if that means that Wiseman, his right-hand man, is now the new leader in charge, or if these communities are fairly self-run. Members have stated that a council of people in the community have authority, so nothing really has changed structurally since his passing. In other words, this unfortunately means that there's not very likely that 12 tribes is going anywhere anytime soon. Though we've talked a lot about their values and most recent controversies, the 12 tribes have appeared in the news in the past couple months for a very different reason than usual, a fire. From December 30th to early January, 2022, there was a massive wildfire here in Colorado that forced tens of thousands of people to evacuate. Witnesses reported seeing a structure owned by the 12 tribes on fire before the blaze spread, ruling out the possibility that downed power lines may have been the cause. 
Soon, footage of the initial source of the Marshall Fire, one of the 12 tribes barns burning, began circulating on Twitter. This fire is one of the most destructive in Colorado history. So I think it's safe to say that if it were caused by negligence or recklessness, 12 tribes could find themselves in some very hot water. Of course, the sheriff of Boulder County made a statement warning against jumping to conclusions because at the time there simply was not enough evidence to prove what had happened. Still, more clips and more articles have pointed at 12 tribes as the cause while the investigation continues. One article from the Reporter Herald said that on Christmas Eve, only days before the Marshall Fire broke out, firefighters had been called to the compound for a trash fire. However, they didn't extinguish the flames because it hadn't been illegal. Claire Tone, a witness to the Christmas Eve fire, said that the flames were tall and I didn't see any human beings around. Apparently their compound is only just across the road from the limits of the Boulder County fire ban. So it seemed there was nothing that could be done. Claire also claims that six days after reporting the trash fire, she watched the beginnings of the Marshall Fire. When I saw the fire, I realized what I was looking at was the exact locations of where I saw the flames a week before she claimed. And again, we simply cannot know for sure that this is the case and that the 12 tribes caused the Marshall Fire for sure. Until there is an official report stating as such, I won't say they were behind this. All I'll say for now is that it looks very suspicious and questionable. And as of writing this, the cause of the Marshall fires has still yet to be determined. I'm very curious to see what will be the outcome of the investigation and perhaps the subsequent consequences of those responsible. And before we do close out today's episode, I need to make it clear that fire or no fire, I think 12 tribes needs to be held accountable for the harm they do cause each and every day. In my opinion, I firmly believe they are a cult. I do not have the expertise to obviously definitively say they are a cult. So again, this is my opinion, my opinion alone, but based on what I've researched, what I've found and what I've presented to you today, I believe they are. And they've got the vast majority of the qualities of a cult, perhaps except for a leader now that Spriggs has passed away. The way they clearly and obviously was seen on video abuse children and wear down people is sickening. So if they did have something to do with the fires, I hope it brings the spotlight on them once again and we'll have more people aware of their actions and perhaps more aware that these are perhaps not the people you want living nearby you because they might just burn down your whole fucking town and then maybe beat your children afterwards. But of course, that's my opinion. You can be free to make yours. My sources as per usual are always going to be in the description box so that you can see where I got my information to create this episode, see exactly where the quotes that I made came from and all of that information so you can come to your own conclusion, research the entire articles, essays, whatever I found, you can look at them too. So with all of that being said, no matter how good the sandwiches are and no matter how cute you find the atmosphere, please don't go to Yellow Deli or in the Colorado Springs area, the Monte Factor. I'm sure there's more Monte Factor type things run by 12 tribes elsewhere. I doubt that's like a unique thing, but maybe it is, I don't know. I won't be giving them my money because I just don't support child abuse. So I think that's pretty plain and simple to me. If you want to see more episodes like these, I highly recommend checking out the episode on the controversies of Mormonism. That's a two-part, the Christian camp circle of hope and the episode on the IBLP. Strong warning, none of those are pleasant. They're all going to hurt a lot as they hurt many children in the process. So thank you for tuning into today's episode, spending some of your time here with me today. I know it's valuable and I appreciate that you took the time out of your day to be here and learn something new, although not pleasant. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.